Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. I would like to welcome James Pike, who is a clinical site practitioner at Croydon University Hospital. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today, James. Thank you. Back to where you studied, um, we met at King's College London. You've guessed by now I'm basically making everyone that I know come on a podcast. So welcome, <laughs> thanks so much. But why did you choose nursing and why did you pick King's College London University to go to? For me, King's had had a very good reputation. But the opportunities to study at some incredible hospitals, uh, some incredible hospitals, a lot of an incredible university was what what swung it for me it it was working at guys and st thomas's that was the driver for me to actually apply the fact that king's is obviously very good there's always faults but i think with any university you go to but i can i can look back very comfortably and say training at guys and st thomas's has really set me up very nicely yeah i completely agree Um, i'd make the same and and as king's to be fair, I'd, I'd always go to Kings again if I had the opportunity. Keep going back there. I think they're a bit fed up. <laughs> <laughs> so to to answer the first bit of the question, why nursing? I think that's a much harder question. My year group at school was, was very successful with about 10%, 100 or so going on to study medicine. Wow, that was definitely lovely, a healthcare buzz. Mm. A-levels led in, I did biology, chemistry, psychology, so we're quite suited to healthcare as well. And then that's quite was, rare, uh, I think, actually. Nurses doing a lot of nurses I've spoken to, and I didn't do. I did English history and psychology, so nothing related to um to science or anything. So you no. were completely ready for our anatomy and physiology lectures at uni. Totally, totally. And also, work experience I think is vital. I had a very interesting experience with a a consultant surgeon. Did a week in theatres, ward rounds, that kind of stuff, and he was just nasty. And, you know, looking looking back now, I'm I'm happy I made the right choice. I, I think there are lots and lots of challenges with nursing. I think there are probably just as many, if not more, with medicine, particularly for, I say, in inverted commas, junior doctors. You know, they're, they're very experienced doctors who are you know, middle aged. And depending on who you're working with, I, I think you could be treated almost like a child sometimes um, I think nursing's quite has changed we've made quite a lot of progress haven't we in terms of in terms of hierarchy your opinion being heard and your opinion being valid regardless of kind of how old you are how long you've been you know if you feel uncomfortable mm. in the situation or you feel like a patient's deteriorating no one's listening I've, I've been fortunate I've never been in a situation where I've been ignored because I happen to be because no. I look young or, or any lack of experience actually I, you're right I think in medicine I think maybe that hierarchy is really reinforced still and it still really exists. Yes, and I, I think particularly, you know, like you, I've, I've got a critical care background. There, historically, there's been a lot of work to flatten the hierarchy because mm. we know it improves safety, it improves patient outcomes. So your work experience put you off and I did a week, yeah, back my mum's friend Charlie got me, a, he worked at the Evelina and he oh, got right. me a week work experience and it made me terrified of tiny teeny babies that were poorly <laughs> um, and I remember walking in and being like no nope, can't do it they're too small and they were taking blood from like a one-month-year-old baby and I was like I knew I knew I just couldn't be a children's nurse yeah. but I really felt like I belonged it was a really weird feeling I kind of walked in and was like yep this is for me and that was what I based my whole you know kind of UCAS and my university applications and I remember a week before I started at King's I was like I've made a whole life decision about university based on a week's work experience when I was 16 
what if I've completely made the wrong decision? But I hadn't, luckily, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, it's challenging, and I, I think benefited as well from got some amazing work experience. So before you went to work in intensive care, you did a year on Howard Ward, which um, if, it, if you haven't worked at St Thomas's, it's a mixture of private and NHS medical slash elective surgery unit. Was it a, a conscious decision for you to go into a ward before you went to the intensive care? Yes. So I was... I was one over to intensive care, had a fantastic placement guys, and I, I loved it. You know, I, I was I was very heart set. This is this is where I want to go. But all the advice I got at the time was you need to have a year on the wards, get that under your belt and then apply for ICU. And it, it was the, always the first thing on the job application. You must have a year's post qualification experience. I ended up on on Howard Ward. I think that's a really good thing. You know, nowadays. It's, I think it's easier to get into critical care, ED, places like that with no ward experience. Personally, I, I found the nurses I worked with in critical care who had no experience as a qualified nurse struggled. I think it's, it's very stressful, isn't it? I look back and I went to a high dependency unit, but I went between that and a cardiac ward. I did, a, yeah. uh, I think, nine months in total on one and then moved over to the ward and I found having that ward experience then when I went to A&E and when I went to intensive care I found I had the confidence because I dealt with even just the discharges and social yeah. services and district nurse referrals and kind of all of that side of it I had the confidence to know as well that I could manage eight to ten plus patients on my own yeah. that made me feel a lot more confident. It's, it's so important I still remember doing that first drugs round on my own with no one watching and yeah. you're, you're like Paracetamol, yes, this is definitely paracetamol. And <laughs> someone swapped it once I put it in the pot. <laughs> exactly. Let's just you know quickly check the BNF. Yeah, paracetamol. Yes, no, no, exactly. it's really stressful. And just getting, I think, like you were saying about the discharge processes, it it's just lear- learning all the all the bits and bobs that you might you might not have come across as a student. Um, and one thing I would say for any students that are listening, whatever placement you're on, whether that be your final placement in your third year, really get involved in the processes. So the discharge planning, the TTOs, the dosset boxes, the social services. I think it's quite sometimes easy as a student to miss out on learning those opportunities because sometimes it's just very busy and the nurse that you're working with just wants it done. And if they've done it before, it can just be a lot quicker for them to, oh, I'll quickly just ring warfarin clinic to get the anti-coag clinic to get them booked in for their warfarin check where actually by you doing that as the student nurse that then gives you the confidence and the competence to do that when you qualify so really seek out those opportunities it obviously it's learning those clinical skills and your essential skill clusters but it's also about kind of the administration and the organization and the liaising with different services that that we have to be able to do that as nurses so after you worked at sensitive care for five years and then you moved on to the private sector what made you move over over to the private sector? Life happened, really. So I, I finished finished my intensive care course at St Thomas's. And um, my wife and I, who at the time was also a nurse at critical care at Tommy's, we, we had our son. The nursing power couple. And, um, yeah. and one of the things we were looking at is, well, how do we manage having a, having a baby and working? At the time, we decided that both of us staying in ICU wasn't really manageable for various reasons not least the sort of work-life balance I just got an offer for a, a band six post in the private sector and to be honest it was kind of the money that won me over yeah. it, was, it was I remember when I told my my band seven that I was leaving uh she was like oh you're you'll be earning more than me that's 
was like, okay, fine, I'm gone, bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> for the last couple of years, it's really been a focus on provide, providing for the family, having a bit of a break. You know, working, working in St Thomas's ICU, it's the most incredible place. I've, you know, it, I, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about it, but it is, it's tiring work. ICU is very tiring, very stressful physically and emotionally and mentally. So I've, I really enjoyed actually having a couple of years of different challenges in the private sector. And what were the different roles that you did? So I know that you did outreach whilst you were in the private sector. How did, did you notice any really big differences between the NHS and the private sector of now you've worked in both? So there are big discrepancies in the private sector. So, so to put it into perspective, obviously I've worked in St Thomas's, you know, a really fantastic NHS Foundation Trust. I'm, I'm now at Croydon, which is, you know, a rapidly improving NHS Trust. However, there are core things that are the same. You know, we have ICU, you, you have resus teams, you have the same setup. Whichever NH trust, NHS Trust you're in, you have the same setup. It might have a different name for a different role. Because we love an acronym. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But the setup is there. You know, I, I'm an SMP at Tommy's. I'm a CSP at Croydon. In the private sector, though, different hospitals can have very different setups. There's much less um, clinical governance across the entire private sector. Individual hospitals govern themselves. So in, in one hospital, I'm deliberately not going to mention names. Um, in what you know, in one hospital, very big American organisation. Uh, you know, they were banned from having students because it wasn't safe. In another hospital, a, a much better one, a, a large independent hospital, they'd essentially tried to copy the NHS setup. You know, we had our daily resus team meetings. ICU was very much there to support the wards. First private hospital in the country to have 24-7 outreach. And that that's really, really important. Obviously, now I'm very aware that the acuity of patients in the private sector is generally much lower. The nurse, the nurse to patient ratio is much higher, which is fantastic. It's it's different. It is very different in the private sector. And certainly if, if you ever get the opportunity to work there and you think, actually, you know what, now now's the right time to leave the NHS for me, I would recommend it. You will gain I've I've certainly gained lots and I have absolutely no question that I wouldn't be where I am now in in what is now my band seven role, if it weren't for that sort of leap of faith, as it were, into the private sector. And into a complete unknown. Um, and thank you for, for explaining mm. it in more detail, because I think a lot of nurses, me included, wouldn't know what the private sector is like, how different it is. You kind of might lump all private hospitals together as one without knowing that there is a massive difference between them. Yeah, I I think from conversations I've had with people, you know, quite a few people have said, "Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to work in the private sector because they're all snooty and snobbish." And it's like, well, actually, no, that that's the polar opposite. You know, I, I've had Arab princesses hold my hand and ask me to stay and look mm. at them for a bit longer. You know, I've had royal royalty from other countries, you know, insist I call them by their first name. It's not, it's not like that at all. You've done your intensive care course. You've done your mentorship. Um, and you've done your ALS, so your advanced life support. How did you find going on advanced life support as a nurse? I loved it. So advanced life support was day one in my new job in the private sector. Uh, Just a bit stressful then. 
it, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting, and there were there were a couple of us there from from the same hospital, all nurses. And actually, when when you're there, you're no different to anyone else. It wasn't like we're cohorted as nurses. The the way it's run is you're sort of in little groups for all the simulations that you do. Uh, so one of the guys in our group, I think it was his third or fourth ALS. He was an ED reg. Wow, so yeah, he's like, he's pretty good, and so he was he wanted to be an instructor. So he was showing off all his teaching and which was fantastic. A lot of doctors there, you know, F1s, F2s. Because the main difference between us and doctors is, yeah, that they have to do, uh, junior doctors as F1s do that as part of their induction and kind of getting in their new role as a qualified doctor, where I had been a nurse for five years before I did my ALS. Yeah. Yeah, I think about five years. So we're a lot more, by that point, you've obviously got a lot more experience, you've done a few roles, you're really comfortable within your role as a qualified registered member of staff, aren't you? Yeah, I, I think. But I loved, I think ALS was actually one of my most favourite courses that I've done. Out of fantastic two days. So really fantastic. So I'd really say to anyone listening, if that's something that the opportunity is offered to you within your place of work, within your trust, please do sign up and, and please do go. If, so you recently started a new role as a clinical site practitioner. Can you outline what your role actually is? What do you, <laughs> what do, you do? I. I, I'm still very much learning. It's, it's <laughs> joining joining the NHS as sort of a, a site manager during COVID has been a real baptism of fire. Quite literally a baptism um, of fire. Yeah, yeah. Everything's on fire. It's it. yeah. <laughs> and you're stood um, in the middle with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. <laughs> so during eight days, there are there are two of us on shift. I'm at myself and a, a more senior colleague, and they're they're generally in charge of bed management. They're trying to map patients through from a&E to the wards which with coronavirus has been so much harder because you're you're trying to keep your your unknowns everyone through A&E separate from your known negatives um which means that a lot of beds are sat empty that you can't use I, I say a lot we're talking about 98 99 percent of beds are always full so that that's been a real challenge so days are very much about helping with beds helping with discharges, really supporting the wards and the staff there. Also as, as site managers, um, you know, a key part, key part of our role is making sure things on the site are going okay. So, you know, I, I was joking about fire, but we go to the fire emergencies during the day. I, depending on the location, I'll go to medical emergencies, cardiac arrests. If they're on the ward, we're generally not needed, but you know, we've had them in dialysis, in corridors, roles where you might need a little bit of operational support we go to. Where the role comes into its own is on night shift. Croydon, we've got the hospital at night team. So it's led by myself and the medical registrar. So obviously the med reg is responsible clinically. I'm responsible operationally. So a key part of that is we act as what's called the bleep filter. So anybody who wants to get in touch with the doctors will come through us. Wow. Well, anyone for the whole hospital? Obviously, maternity, paediatrics, surgical is slightly different. A lot of the time, it's it's very useful because we can offer guidance and support to the nurses. That means that the doctors, rather than having, say, 50 bleeps an hour, can actually focus on what they need to do. They can deal with the sick patients. Challenging role that is. Um, and then after that, I think I got a, had a fire call to A&E. Someone has set fire to a microwave member of staff. Of course. <laughs> I was foiled in their sandwich wrapper. And that and that's why we give ourselves really a really um, bad rap, don't we? We do all this amazing uh, stuff in nursing and then we set fire to the microwave. Yeah. 
it's a it's a very varied role, and it's it, it's one that I'm you know I'm, I'm still still learning, and it's the the autonomy is something that I think I'd probably really have struggled with if it wasn't for their critical care background. Where I was used to working with very senior doctors, I was used to being a key part of a decision-making process or actually just making the decisions. Mm. I think it's all learning how to have that communication and learning as well that your opinion is as valid, if not more valid than everyone else in the room. You're the one that knows the patient. And actually, I found when I first went to intensive care, I wouldn't really talk on the ward around that much. I might ask, oh, can this be prescribed or can you change this? But you know, I wasn't as vocal as then. I think a couple of weeks in, you're there before they even start the ward round, going hello, and you're pre- you're presenting the issues. Learning those skills, I found, were really important and a really key part of critical care for me. I, I think one of the things nurses nurses forget that we offer is that we we tend to stay in the same place a lot longer than doctors do, particularly the junior doctors. Um, so. You know, we've recently had a, a change of registrars. It's their six months is up. They've moved around. They've been at different hospitals who have all dealt with COVID slightly differently. I think it's fair to say. And so you might be a gastro registrar by day and then you come to do your first set of nights. So actually, it's been really helpful that I've been able to explain the COVID ALS process to the team, which, yes, you, you might know, but it's one of those things you need drummed into day after day because it is different. And as well, our normal resus situation it's almost becomes embedded within you, doesn't it? It's an automatic process once yes. you've been, you do an ALS, you've done, you've been in that situation lots of times. And yeah. when we've got the new thing, like, oh, there's, an, it, you know, now it's a COVID patient or it's an unknown patient. Actually, we need to then kind of embed that information again, don't we? Telling, telling people to not do CPR because they don't have PP on is probably the weirdest experience I've had. Mm-hmm. Getting a, you know, we got a cardiac arrest call that I went to. And the first bit of advice I could say was stop CPR. Like you, you know, five, six months ago, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought of it. You know, what will you be telling people to do? You know, that is, it's, it's very, it's very strange. It, it's surreal. But that's, you know, that is the, the age we live in now. You know, this is the COVID, COVID era of nursing. It will, you know, at some point it will become less, less of an acute issue, more of a chronic issue. But for me, it certainly raises a question of, well, what about the next pandemic? What about the next emergencies? You know that sadly this isn't you know this is this isn't it for healthcare. There there will be other struggles. Um, there will, and, it, and we've learned a lot, haven't we? As as individual healthcare professionals and as an NHS and the private sector altogether, it's been a really steep learning curve. Massively, massively. Have you got any advice for anyone that wants to move into being a clinical site practitioner? I think having a background that fills you with confidence that you've got to know a that you're good so that you've got that confidence to say no this is this is what we're doing this is what we're doing and with that confidence certainly for me grown up in healthcare become more mature become more experienced it's a lot easier to say I don't know what I'm doing I think that's a really key thing isn't it it's almost like when you first qualify you feel like should I know it if I admit that I don't know it am I then looking yeah am I then looking like I'm incompetent or that I shouldn't be here where I was saying to my student, my, I was teaching my students about pharmacology last week and one of them was like, what, am I just supposed to know all of this? And I was like, well, you're obviously the basic principles, yes, and yes, you have to be safe to administer, but in terms of how to give them education, no one's expecting you to be a library, they're not expecting you to be the BNF or Medusa. Like, yeah. that's why we've got those systems in place for you to go and look it up. And 
you know, I don't work clinically full time anymore. I go back and do my shift in intensive care. There were medications I would give all the time without even thinking about before. And I would know the concentrations, the dose, how to give it, how to prepare it, the duration where now I go and look it up. That's that's not a bad thing. In fact, I have to do that in order to be a competent practitioner and to be safe. We should all be looking up things every single time we do it. Yes. And by admitting that, it's almost like you're just worried about almost some going, oh, God, she's got to go on that computer and, and, and see how to give comoxiclav. There's no issue with going on the computer and looking up how to go give comoxiclav because that means you're going to give it safely and correctly. Totally. Totally. To access that. And ultimately, you know, whether you're a healthcare assistant or the chief nurse, it's about patient safety. You know, that's the that's the key question to ask yourself. Is this patient safe? I know this is quite um, early on because you've only recently started <laughs> this new job in September. Where do you see your career going? I think it's the, the sort of the double edged sort of nursing that you've got so many career options it's very hard to actually plan a career that's true now I I would have never thought I'd have gone to the private sector I would have never thought I'd gone into site management so truth be told I don't know yeah and it sounds like you've got a really good mix and that actually you know if you did want to go into more the operational side or the clinical side actually you've got the best of both worlds haven't you And, and I think there is no you know for anyone new or anyone sort of having a little crisis of faith as to what you know what do what do I do um and I, I fear there'll be a lot of nurses actually you know now with having had an awful year in healthcare concerns you know what do I do for my future and it's one of the reasons why I actually started this podcast how many options there are available in healthcare that actually you can be a nurse and do operational control you can be a prescriber you can work in a gp kit you know you can be all over i think we look at nhs jobs and you think oh i'm not qualified for that or i can't do that but actually you are and you can be a nurse and do literally thousands of different jobs you have never met all the criteria that's essential on a job application i i think you'd be hard pushed to find a candidate who does Um, but if you don't apply you definitely will not get a job Exactly. I think especially with the cuts to CPD funding, you know, lots of jobs now might say, oh, you need to have a master's. But if units are never going to be able to fund a full master's because it's either a year of years or part time for two years, it's a lot of money. So units might say, oh, we'll pay for you to do the intensive care course. We'll pay for you to do an advanced assessment. So it's a 30 credit or a 15 credit module. It's very hard then for nurses to find the time and they decide to self-fund very exciting time to be a healthcare worker and a nurse I think things are going to change rapidly you know there there will be a a post-covid change to the way hospitals run so I I think it's it's also you know you know again life happens be upset I think also we've got to allow ourselves to be upset and actually the amount of times I've gone in the leaning cupboard and had and had a little, and had a moment and then someone's walked yeah. in to get a pillowcase and I'm in there <laughs> having a little cry um and that's okay we're allowed to do that we don't have to be super people and we've got I think this few in nursing that we put on our scrubs and we put our uniform on and therefore we have to be able to deal with everything all the time and not have breaks and not go to the toilet and not sit down and not eat anything because your patient's really unwell and so I don't know any other job where you would go oh well I worked 10 hours before I went and had a drink or I went to the toilet or I had a sandwich that that doesn't exist yeah, it's 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 ridiculous we stick up for our patients really well we're amazing advocates we need to advocate for ourselves look after our own health i think especially in the post-covid era that hopefully we'll be entering soon fingers crossed that's something that i think nursing as a profession we can really take forward that what we've learned 
ironically this was you know the year of the nurse and midwife wasn't it in 2020 um, yes yeah. and I think the world almost took it as Lots some bizarre that, really. challenge to see what can nurses and midwives take uh, the answer unfortunately is a lot um I think something we can all learn from this is, is to be kind and to look after ourselves as much as we do our patients. Totally. Definitely. Totally. Um, and thank you so much, James. Um, I feel like we've put the world to rights today. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being on the very podcast. Enjoyable. No, thank you very much. And good luck in your job, in your new role. Thank you very, very much. much.